CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world? Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Here's Sunjo Gall. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Today's topic is how do you secure your extended IT? And our guests for today's show are Alan Levine, who is a Global CISO, which is Chief Information Security Officer with Alcoa. Good morning, Alan. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm just doing fine. So life, work, family, everything doing good? Absolutely fine and wonderful to be in Pittsburgh today. Break. And, and, and in terms of your uh, work schedule, are you still able to keep your eight-hour schedule yet? Uh, I lost the eight-hour hour schedule when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> All right. So we also have Dan Blum, who's the Vice President and Distinguished Analyst with Gartner. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Oh, fine. Thank you. And I'm assuming that you're going to have somewhat similar answer that Alan gave in terms of your schedule, is it? I'm, I'm afraid so. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll have some some hope because we also have Robert Allen, who is the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer with CNA. So, Robert, how is life at your end? Not too bad. Good morning. It's uh, 80 degrees in Chicago, so we really can't complain. Great. Now, all three of you have, uh, of course, lived your uh, respective uh, lives in, in helping security uh, enforcement in organization, in, in uh, you know, information security, physical security, and uh, name it. Now, when we come to the extension of IT that we see uh, that's been made, where almost it's become a priority for organizations to let go of the non-core or perhaps outsource things which other people can do better and extend organization. And then also they brought about cloud, which is another disruptive technology providing value, but it in a way is providing control to somebody else for the functions that you rather have be done somewhere else. With outsourcing cloud and many other uh, extensions that we have created, Alan, let's start with you. Do you think this was done keeping business interests in mind and also while you were discussed with or people in, in your, at your level or in your um, role were discussed with, but was that taken with a grain of salt when you cautioned what all risks would get introduced? No, I, I, I think it, that my input was taken seriously and has continued to be taken seriously. There are really two central issues here. So the first one is, and you said it, the notion of outsourcing, so third-party support for internal things, uh, either on the application side or on the infrastructure side, and we have certainly seen both. Um, the other thing, the other aspect, is, of course, the whole notion of cloud, which I'll caution everybody to remember really isn't a cloud, not a single thing, but many clouds which each offer uh, different kinds of services, uh, whether it's on the infrastructure side, the application side, um, and uh, most importantly, at least right now, don't talk to each other. They compete with each other. Um, what we've seen uh, in terms of the former, is, uh, which is uh, outsourced uh, support, is that the most important um, uh, ingredient of success from a security perspective is a very close working relationship. 
you have to have the third party agree to do things in the ways that you have established within your company. So if you have security standards, if you have a self-assessment process, um, you need to make sure that the third party has agreed in advance in a contract that they're going to abide by all of those. And then in the contract, of course, have some language that indicates they will pay the piper if they fail to meet those standards. On the cloud side, uh, life is a little bit different. And certainly the major issue that folks will come back with uh, regarding security and risk in general is can you trust the cloud? When the data or transactions or applications were inside your network, you had a certain level of confidence, a certain level of visibility into the controls. Uh, now that you've put that out in cyberspace someplace in a cloud, how well is it managed, how well is it controlled, and most importantly, how well can you continue to have visibility into what's happening out there? And what we found is really it's a two-edged sword. So on the one hand, um, I think everyone would agree that there isn't any single person or organization that is best at everything when it comes to security. And so by transition, we should also expect that we shouldn't go into a cloud relationship with the expectation that their security is weaker than ours, that somebody outside just can't do it as well as somebody inside. I think we have to uh, come at it with a different form of humility that says, you know, everybody is good at some things when it comes to security, and what we need to do with cloud relationships is make sure that as much as possible we have them on board with our programs, uh, within an SLA, we have controls that will protect our company from liability. And then, most importantly, where we can get it, uh, we have a right to audit, which is, of course, something that's difficult to get into a contract, but we like to see it when we can. Now, Dan, in your world, when you go across uh, the organizations and talk to many people out there, how are they looking at this extended IT? Do, you, do they see it as a risk or the cost plus risk is severely or I would say rather benefit seriously or significantly outweighs the cost and the risk associated with it? Well, well, really, the um, customer perspectives on this are all over the map. Uh, we see um, a lot of people um, wanting to go to extended IT or specifically to cloud uh, because of the agility that it provides. I just talked with a company the other day that uh, said that their cloud services enabled their development team to have just one system administrator reach uh, thousands or millions of customers, and they could do daily releases that changed uh, fields on the screen. So a lot of cases, um, more often than not, uh, the early adopters and the enthusiastic adopters of cloud services are doing it for the agility. We do hear cost as a factor, and we certainly do hear about risk, and many companies are holding back uh, because of risk. And risks, of course, can be either perceived uh, or they can be real. Uh, in terms of perceived risks, uh, we um, tend to fear the loss of control. We tend to fear the unknown. Uh, those fears may be exaggerated or they may not be. But it is um, pretty much uh, well documented that the human perception of risk is flawed in many cases. We tend to fear the unknown too much. Uh, and yet we grow 
overly complacent about what we think we know. You've probably all heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. The real risks of cloud computing are mostly the same risks that we've long known in IT. Uh, these are the risks of uh, failures of confidentiality, integrity, availability, and other security objectives. Um, those already exist with our internal environment. You go out to cloud-based IT, and you still have networks, you still have applications, you still have web-based interfaces, you still have vulnerabilities and hackers and all the same thing. Uh, we do need to ask what is different. And what I think is different is uh, two major things, uh, the outsourcing, the level of outsourcing that occurs, um, where the control is moving to an outside party, and, um, and not only that, but sort of the velocity of outsourcing in the sense that you may have um, a um, vendor uh, of a software-as-a-service offering sitting on top of an Amazon Web Services infrastructure-as-a-service offering or a rack space and so on, um, and you may have that software-as-a-service offering uh, leveraging um, monitoring services. Uh, if it's a platform-as-a-service offering, it may be leveraging outsourced uh, code escrow or uh, source code management services. And, and this sort of um, velocity of outsourcing is something new. And then you also have uh, the other major difference that you see with cloud computing is virtualization, or the increased use of virtualization, which enables um, much higher levels of um, automation and um, sharing of resources, uh, what we call multi-tenancy, or many different customers uh, sharing the same um, physical hardware and physical storage um, through their uh, different uh, machine workload instances. And the effect of um, the increased velocity of IT from the increased outsourcing and virtualization is to amplify certain risks. Uh, we have aggregated risks of outages, um, aggregated risk of uh, criminal activity, or espionage activity, because the larger the cloud service provider is, uh, the bigger the target they are. And so even if they are better at security than we are, they still need to be better in order to uh, compensate for being a bigger target. Uh, there's also risks of unexpected uh, cross-border data transfers uh, that occur because of the velocity of outsourcing between the providers. And there may be increased risks of attacks on web services and web-based APIs because everything's exposed uh, through the Internet in this type of cloud-based environment. Now, uh, Robert, the question for you will be is if you were to give in an autonomy, keep the business interest aside, how much security is enough or how, what is the level of security would you uh, enforce on extended IT for you to feel comfortable? Someone well, that's a good question. I, I think, you know, Dan and Alan have, have framed the risks well. Um, I, I go back to the, the support model that, um, that Alan touched upon. You know, it's one thing to address you know, the controls and the uh, assumptions in terms of services and SLAs within the contract. Um, you know, the right to audit is not a, a nice to have, it's an absolute must. 
And I take it a lot further than that because I think there is a set governance model that you really need to put in place to not only trust but verify how your MSPs, how your providers are delivering your services. Um, We've done a lot around KRIs, key risk indicators, and the performance measures that are coming back from our service providers, but we've gone above and beyond that with this, you know, with this new model that we have to really test on a more regular basis than we even did uh, previously to ensure that we're getting the necessary service levels and that, you know, we're not taking on additional risk. Our assumption going into this was that the risk would really be somewhat uh, evened out in terms of benefits we were seeing in terms of added controls, you know, and then obviously tempering that with some of the uh, concerns that, um, that Dan mentioned. Now, Robert, do you think because of introduction of uh, extensions of IT, as we discussed here, if you were to take some empirical data, can you say that you've increased the overhead of repeated audits and looking under the hood of these providers or chasing them to give you the required information, and also the vulnerabilities which are proven by different breaches in terms of percentages just because the extension was created in in an organization? Yeah, I, you know, I think you really need to go into this, and, and we're about two years into our outsourced agreement right now, and, uh, you know, I think the expectation was right in the early stages that we were going to increase um, the uh, amount of audits and governance work that we were, um, in terms of where we were from a previous steady state standpoint, working very closely with our internal audit team, external audit team, and then also ramping up you know, the governance aspect of what we still maintain internally. You know, we've taken a more of a hybrid approach where we've staggered our move to managed services um, without uh, going full board just yet, making sure that the services that we have moved over to our service providers are where we want them to be from an effectiveness standpoint. And then we'll continue to look at whether it's a security operations center or further use of of our providers, you know, once we feel we're in steady state. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and look at the specific SLAs and contracts that we may be signing with our providers. And is that enough? Is that going to keep them on their toes? Is that also going to almost force them to allow us to look at what's going on behind the scene at any time we want versus a pre-scheduled so-called visit to their premises? And then is that going to be enough for us to secure the fort and or feel good about the fact that while we extended our IT, we also have security at part with what we used to have before extensions were created. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology. 
that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Dan, let's start with you. So, when you're looking at the SLAs and contracts, do you think is that been enough to keep the providers on their toes? And that the fact the visibility and control that you were looking from uh, them, is that really achieved? Um, well, typically, it's not. Uh, typically, the service providers um, write the... Um, standard SLAs and contracts uh, to favor themselves, and they'll tell the customers that, um, you know, we can't make changes to this. How could we change it for our thousands of customers for each one? Um, But, in fact, if you're doing enough business with um, the uh, service provider, regardless of what most of them tell you, you can um, negotiate more favorable SLAs and contracts, and that may increase uh, their level of help uh, keep them on their toes, so to speak. But uh, what's really important um, also is, as you mentioned, you know, the visibility and control, uh, which is more of both a technical matter and a matter of support. Um, In terms of uh, visibility and control, uh, we don't really have... um, a ability to do a real-time audit of any sort of our service providers. The visibility doesn't exist. And even if um, some of the initiatives like cloud audit, where they're developing XML standards and APIs uh, through which you could query the configuration of uh, certain aspects of a service, uh, that's not going to give you a visibility into everything. You couldn't, for example, see that a key administrator was behaving strangely, which is something you could observe uh, through your staff in your own data center. Maybe this guy's got a gambling debt and needs to be watched more closely, and that's not something that you're really going to pick up when you're dealing with a cloud service provider. Uh, you know, all we can do is uh, review audit reports, uh, conduct our own audits. Typically, we can't visit um, the service provider's data center, even if we can do an audit. Uh, we can uh, check uh, references. Uh, we can look at our logs. We can monitor the chatter in the news to get a sense of the vendor's uh, capabilities and reputation at a point in time. Um, but that's um, the most we can do. And uh, customers will probably grow more comfortable with cloud as they become more familiar with it, as you know, per my earlier comment about perceived risks and real risks. Now, Robert, uh, 
hear what just Dan mentioned, it looks like your hands might be tied behind your back when you're not allowed to go beyond a certain level to look under the hood and really understand where the vulnerabilities might lie. And while you might have contracts and SLAs in place, there's not much, much that's in control, if you will. And how does it feel like to be not in control? Well, I guess, you know, I'm not sure I fully agree. I think, you know, Dan brings up, brings up a good point. Everything's negotiable. And there are a number of different cloud providers. I, I tend to sway more towards the larger providers, the, the, the trusted advisors, trusted vendors that we've worked with in the past who we have a current relationship with where there's some more negotiation. There's a little bit more wiggle room, so to speak, in terms of getting to their data center, better understanding their controls, really doing a deeper dive that way. Um, you know, I, I've been, you know, and I know there's a number of um, government sponsored um, frameworks that are about to come out or in the uh, midst of uh, being drafted around, you know, cloud-related standards and whatnot. But, you know, the larger providers have been more willing, I I think, to open up their shop, open up the hood, so to speak, and give us a better view of not only security, but from a legal and compliance perspective, which I know is very important for a lot of companies, specifically ones that are used to high indemnification limits in their contracts where maybe, you know, with a cloud-based provider, we may not get those same terms, but we're still going to want to do that extra due diligence. So I think it depends on who you're talking to, and and that's, you know, part of the reason why you need to be very selective early on as an early adopter if you're going to be leveraging the cloud to a greater extent. So, uh, Alan, question here would be that we did speak about security and we did talk about risks and what you can do with terms of vendors. I'm sure we are doing outsourcing for many more years than the cloud, which is just like four or five years, etc. Do you think we have aced that art and could those lessons be used to get a better handle on security in this form of extension of IT, which is cloud-based? Yeah, well, I, I think that there... Uh... I think there there are two different approaches. So there, uh, there are lessons learned uh, from outsourcing that can be applied to the cloud. I, I think there are some, but they are different kinds of relationships. So in an outsourcing relationship where you're paying a third party, for example, to support your applications, to do development for you, to uh, support your infrastructure, um, there's usually a one-to-one relationship. So you can make some you can get some guarantees from the provider that they're going to have dedicated rooms. Uh, you'll have dedicated network connections. You might even go so far as to tell the third party that the clients they're going to use are going to be yours or going to be staged to your standards. You can get pretty strict. And then, of course, in those kinds of relationships, I think uh, an internal audit's um, opportunity is much easier uh, to say that now you are linked to our network, you're providing the support, and we expect that you're going to be in our internal audit regime. Um, translating that for the cloud depends, and it depends, I think, on what kind of service you're, you're receiving, whether you're receiving it from a dedicated environment, which would be closer to the kind of model that I just described for outsourcing, or whether in the cloud you're using a more uh, co-located environment, or you're using a truly community environment. So think about those places out on the Internet where um, an enterprise might decide to do backups or archives of huge amounts of data. In most cases, those are not, for cost reasons and other reasons, those are not going to go to a dedicated environment. They're going to go to a truly community environment. The data is going to be spread out. It might be encrypted. It's going to be hard to retrieve by an unauthorized person. Uh, But from an audit perspective, from a controls perspective, 
uh, in that kind of community environment, we would have uh, less faith in the security of the operation and less visibility into what they're actually doing. The converse would be in in a truly uh, dedicated environment uh, where you've gone to a cloud provider who, just like an outsourcer, has a um, a room that's dedicated to you, has a locked cabinet in which your connections exist, uh, and is working uh, according to all of your standards, security standards, DR standards, patch management standards, and you have all of that built into the contract, I think there are some parallels and some learnings you can get from outsourcing to cloud. The, the one thing I'd mention is, in terms of SLAs and contracts, there's there is a learning curve, not just for IT people and for security people, like the good people on this session, uh, but there's a learning curve for procurement folks, and there's a learning curve for attorneys who work for an enterprise. So uh, to ensure that the right language is built into an MSA or into an SLA um, to protect uh, an enterprise when it outsources or clouds some of its uh, computing assets or processes, um, I think um, there there is clearly a huge job that the CISO has uh, in educating the folks who are going to be negotiating the deal and preparing the, the literal contract language to make sure that it covers everything that, that um, a security guy might be worried about. Now, the, uh, Robert, this is a question for you. Do you think the mindset, typical mindset that you see out there, is it we versus providers or we working with providers to make this secure when it comes to the security side? For delivery, we understand that we even call it co-sourcing so that we both work together. But when it comes to security, is that still uh, uh, like a, a tug of war or a tussle between the two where the other party always likes to not really disclose what vulnerabilities they have because that might cost them the project or the contract? Robert, can you hear me? Sorry about that. Um, you know, it's, it's a good question because I think if, if you want it to be successful, you, you have to treat it as a partnership. Um, and just to get back to a, a point that, uh, that Alan made, you know, it is an educational process, not only for, you know, security, but for folks like legal who now have to be um, much more in tune with the types of services that are being delivered. You know, a good example of that is we actually took our legal team out to a provider's data center to better understand, you know, this is the cloud. You know, I think they had some misconceptions as to, you know, who we were working with and what their configuration was. So there's a lot of education, but also education on the end user side as well. Regardless, there's going to be a change in the environment, a change in terms of how services are delivered, whether it's from a security perspective or infrastructure side of the fence. And there needs to be some expectations with our end users as to it's going to be different, maybe not better or worse, but it will be different, and there's that learning curve that we need to, to go through um, in terms of delivery. Some of the measures and metrics that we used in the past around client satisfaction or you know, how security is being delivered may not work now if the service provider is using a different type of process to deliver those services. A good example of that would be on the, on the administration side, on the ID admin side that we've seen, where we had a much more... Um, tightly integrated process internally as we outsource that, you know, the outsourcer parsed that process up such that there was a few more um, touch points with our end users. It was different, not necessarily worse, but it was different and, and there was a sense that 
this was a change, and maybe early on we weren't getting the same level of service. But um, you know, it's really working with the providers to ensure that there's that there's that balance with both from a security standpoint and what the end user sees and feels with uh, you know the new service offering. Now, Dan, if there, was there ever a survey and or a study conducted where the satisfaction ratings were looked across the board by CISOs from uh, various organizations with respect to security as offered or delivered as part of extended IT? Um, I'm not aware of any uh, survey that asked uh, that particular question. Uh, in my own um, experience, I've talked with a lot of customers, and my anecdotal observation is that some of them have um, found that the provider's apparent or observed level of security is higher than theirs, and other customers with a uh, mature security program of their own uh, find there's a lot lacking, uh, particularly in uh, some of the large uh, CSPs that grew up in the consumer market, you know, for example, Google or Amazon come to mind, and also some of the smaller ones that are, you know, very uh, small businesses in themselves. Um, the co- coordination between customers and service providers tends to be fairly low uh, because of the level of automation that the lar- large cloud service providers have. Um, we do recommend that uh, customers uh, get the appropriate support level. That may be a premium support level where they can get named contacts and actually build uh, relationships with staff um, that handle the engineering and support at the service provider. And then they're going to be more um, content. Um, I also have found a few real bright spots. Uh, The other day I was talking with a large travel service that outsourced its development and operations to... um, a platform as a service offering called Engine Yard, which runs the Ruby on Rails development environment on top of the Amazon Web Services. And they actually handle all the uh, OS-level work, uh, starting and stopping virtual machine instances and that sort of thing. But the client is responsible for the um, Rails platform. Uh, but the client actually found that when there was a security flaw, in the Rails platform that they had to patch, uh, Engine Yard was the first to tell them about it. So this is the example of um, the kind of synergy that uh, that can can exist between a um, service provider and a customer when um, the service provider is well focused and well suited to the customer's needs. Uh, let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And, Alan, when we come back, I'd like to pose a question with respect to the actual end-user experience when it comes to continuity and quality and security with respect to their data, uh, as has been seen when the pre-extended IT days versus what we see today where we are trying to extend our IT in front of outsourcing and cloud. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. 
User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. We live in an instant on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage and networks delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show. Here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Alan, the question is around the actual customer experience and the overall delivery, and even from a security standpoint, what is it that is being experienced? Are the satisfaction ratings or vulnerability ratings um, going higher or lower based on when companies have tried to extend their IT versus what when they did everything in-house? Uh, I, I think uh, the data would depend on how thoughtful the extension was. So let me explain. Um, many large enterprises have spent significant effort developing uh, internal single sign-on identity management systems of one kind or another in order to make as seamless as possible the user authentication and authorization experience. So a user sits down, user logs in, user gets everything they need inside your network. Well, now we have this new relationship where we have cloud providers um, and by the way, let's. I don't think any of us should should have the misunderstanding that somehow five or ten years ago, large enterprises developed strategies for the cloud. We didn't land on the cloud. The cloud landed on us. And security folks in general are playing catch-up. IT folks, I think, are playing catch-up in terms of addressing all of the issues we've discussed so far. In terms of the actual user experience, I think the first answer uh, has to do with um, uh, a seamless um, uh, authentication and authorization experience. And that comes, of course, from federated connections. Uh, that comes from a relationship that you develop with the cloud provider where they're going to accept a SAML 2.0 assertion or something else which will link the two um, so that at the end of the day, for the user, the connection will be transparent. At the end of the day, it should not matter to an end user in any enterprise whether the asset or transaction system that they're touching is inside your network or out. And over time, that seamlessness, that invisibility of connections um, is going to become paramount because um, if, we, if we get to the point where users instead are seeing that a connection within the network is seamless, is integrated, is easy, but a connection to a third party uh, is more difficult. That's going to be, um, I think, a challenge for cloud in general. One last point is that if you think about the way that networks might be designed in the future, um, one of the key considerations, I think, is going to be the mobile user, the person who's working from home, the person who's sitting in a hotel, 
And if we use the traditional federated models that we have for authentication and authorization, we'll be saying to that user, and by the way, even though you might be sitting across the street from this cloud provider, you are required to come through the enterprise network in order to get to the cloud provider, which, of course, adds hops, adds uh, potential issues in terms of connectivity, and could damage the user experience. So in the long term, I think, what we're all going to be working on and thinking about, um, hopefully, uh, is, is going to be a seamless experience for the user, whether they are attaching to the third party via the enterprise network or whether, whether they are attaching to the third party directly. Can I comment on that one real quick? Sure. Um, just to say that uh, the federated authentication, the SAML 2.0, uh, is a really important um, capability to have uh, for an enterprise to have with cloud computing because it enables um, not only a single sign-on experience for the user, but it also enables a single point of uh, audit and logging uh, of the uh, activities that the user has uh, with the cloud. It, it can be good for accountability and audit. Uh, and so it's one of those rare cases where what the user wants in terms of convenience and what the security department wants in terms of uh, visibility and control come together in a common interest. And uh, actually, you know, to the point about the mobile user, um, there are ways to provide uh, federated authentication uh, without hurting the user experience, and uh, we need to be mindful of that as well. Uh, Robert, question for you. Uh, while we have been talking about with expectations from the providers and in a way a sense of entitlement, has anyone gone back to the provider community and said, we ask you to deliver something for next to nothing cost. We want you to deliver yesterday. We want you to deliver at a level of quality which we never were able to achieve. And with all those constraints, do you think you might be in a tight spot where you might have to cut corners and thus there might be some security-related compromises we will have to make? Please tell us today so that we don't live with those disasters tomorrow. Well, you know, again, I, it depends on your expectations going in. Um, you know, I think early on you, you set up a contract with a given list of services that you're looking to outsource or extend and you need to, to monitor and govern, you know, the quality of delivery. Um, and, I, and I think with any contract and engagement that way, there needs to be a, a revalidation of the services that are being delivered. And as you extend beyond those, those set services, you may need to revise your SAL, your statement of work that's associated with, you know, in this case, security. You know, we're in the process of doing that right now where we want to add controls, add different services, if you're mindful about how you are, you know, adding these controls and services to your managed service provider and trying to lessen some of the complexity, for example, if you use this effort to maybe uh, consolidate uh, to maybe some key vendors, some key strategic players, that should lessen the complexity and give you some, some flexibility with your MSP or your provider uh, to look at a different cost structure. If you're not willing to make some adjustments that way, then you could be in a tough position that, A, there's going to be additional costs that you may not want to um, address, or, or B, you know, that you may be put in a position to, uh, to have some concerns from a, a vulnerability or, you know, setting yourself up uh, to, be, to be too thin that way. I, the latter is, is not acceptable, so I think we've, we've taken the approach internally that, you know, really working closely with our provider, they're a partner, 
work and we lessen some complexity so as we in, enhance our operational set of services that are being delivered, you know, we're driving out some complexity and lessening the cost base for, uh, for our provider as well. Now, when it comes to the actual contracts and SLAs and the whole uh, experience and all the process using which we engage with the provider, do you think procurement overrides some of the things that you would like to need and then there is an increased sticker price that is offered, but then procurement says, you know what, that's not happening. We want this at the lowest cost possible because then they get their own bonus paychecks. So where do you draw the line is that how cheap do you want the deal? versus how secure you want to be in your guidelines to make sure that you have that extra layer of security or a comfort that we do not, you know, it doesn't come and hound us later. How much how much does that procurement understand for it to be included and perhaps given a little bit of uh, leeway to the provider so that they have some money in order to deliver that as well? Well, this is a brave new world, and I, you know, I think you're, you're hitting on what a key role of a CISO really is, and that is to partner with some of your corporate service um, you know, executives, including procurement, such that they better understand the risks that we're now facing. Um, this is a, a great topic to leverage for a operational risk committee, uh, and if you have a, a larger corporations have a, uh, a chief risk officer who needs to be at the table for these types of discussions. You know, we're not looking to to uh, haphazardly add risk. We're looking to do uh, some changes, obviously, to our approach and model in a thoughtful way. And, you know, procurement is going to have a hammer and, and it'd be a big part of that, but it's one, it's, it's just one component. And, um, you know, we've actually spun up a number of uh, risk, not, uh, you know, committees and discussions around this very topic because it extends far beyond security and procurement in terms of folks who need to be at the table uh to accept the risk, if need be, if uh, if we're looking at maybe changing uh, what the delivery um, model provides, and and it, if you're not having those discussions, then you are by default uh, implicitly accepting that risk, and I just don't think that uh, that's the the approach to take these days. So this is Alan. I think what I'd add is um, uh, only in a canine's dream does the tail actually wag the dog, and we have to understand that um, in reality, cost. Uh, the cost of IT will always be a primary driver. Um, the um, actual services that IT can support to an organization will always be a critical driver. Security will be down the list. It will never be the tail that wags the dog. And in fact, even in these days where cybersecurity is making front page news all the time for everyone worldwide, where where people who are the least technical are becoming more and more knowledgeable about cyber threats, at the end of the day, even in that environment, security has a seat at the table, but security is not sharing the meeting. So, Alan, a question here is, while, of course, this is an interesting battle to fight at the time when uh, you are procuring services from outside, but suppose you do get into this relationship, in what, what's the percentage where us as an organization which is procuring could be responsible for those breaches because after we 
gave it out to an extended party. We kind of, you know, started relaxing on what we were supposed to do, or there may be some other things that happened because now you brought in somebody from outside earlier. You had the complete control over the whole environment, and now you got a pieces of it. Another piece has been handed over. So where all we could we go wrong internally, and which results in such vulnerabilities and breaches? Sure. there are really several questions inside that. I mean, and maybe the first answer is is that the, the key question you've asked is a legal question, which is where does the liability reside? But beyond that, I think there are functional process kinds of questions that have to be asked about this new kind of system where lots of, a, of an enterprise's data and transactional elements may be residing outside of its direct control. Um, and so that, for example, let's say there's a, a breach, not a, a security horror story, but let's say something more benign, at least on the surface, so that uh, a third party who's managing some kind of people services information for an enterprise um, hits the wrong button and exposes some of that information unintentionally. Um, regardless of what a contract says, um, the the laws, for example, the breach notification laws in the United States and each of the 50 states would require that third party to notify uh, the client, in this case the enterprise, to let them know that this breach has occurred. Um, and then it would be up to the to the enterprise, the the folks who are are uh, at the end of the day responsible for that data, um, to make the appropriate notifications. Um, what we what I think. There's there's a significant pitfall there, though, which is that regardless of what the contract says and regardless of what the law says, at the end of the day, if the third parties, um, uh, administrators, uh, the folks on the IT side at the cloud who are actually managing this data, if they're not aware of their accountability to to address and report a breach, no matter how benign, um, I could foresee in the future that some of those leaks, those data leaks, could fall through dangerous cracks. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And, Dan, when we come back, a question would be around the actual role of a CISO or the scope of what CISO or CSOs would control in the brave new world. Would that be just within the organization and have at most an influence over the other partners, or they would be losing their jobs if there were breaches and vulnerabilities found in the next standard environment or including the internal environment. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and uh, discuss. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. 
User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sunjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Dan, um, can you can you see across the board uh, the scope of the role of this uh, CISO or CSO, is that morphing to even include the extended enterprise or they're supposed to just mind their own business and hope that the extended enterprises or the provider community is going to just uh, take their wish and their command? Uh, there's different roles, different kinds of roles that uh, the CISO may have in uh, different organizational models. And I think with most of them, uh, the CISO has always had uh, some oversight and accountability or responsibility for the outsourced partners and the third-party VPNs coming in and that sort of thing, uh, as well as for the internal IT. But let me briefly talk about two models. Um, One model is where the CISO works for the CIO, so to speak, within the IT department. in, in this case, um, we typically would advise our clients um, to face the uh, onrush of cloud by migrating their IT operation to become IT as a broker, IT as an enabler uh, for business units to make use of cloud as one delivery platform, not the only delivery platform because sometimes it may make more sense to use a traditional hosting service or an internal data center type service. But um, IT needs to make it easier for customers to use the appropriate kind of um, cloud platform, but safely. And and the CISO uh, would play a part of that broker function, brokering the risk assessments, the audits, and uh, things like that. Uh, In another uh, type of model, uh, the CISO may report to the um, COO or even to the board and kind of have more of a oversight function uh, seen as kind of a check on uh, IT if um, IT kind of gets out of hand from the security perspective. This is a little less common, uh, but it does happen. And um, in this case, um, the CIO would definitely need to have oversight. CISO would definitely need to have oversight over the um, extended IT environment. Uh, finally, I just wanted to comment on the earlier discussion we had about uh, breaches um, to the point of um, the breach disclosure obligation example. Uh, and as a general rule, we do tell clients to assume uh, that legally they will still own the data, they still own uh, the responsibility for the security of the data and the business process, and that therefore the buck stops with them. 
some of these breach disclosure requirements have a time limit, as um, we noted earlier, and that time limit may be ticking while the breach is sitting back in the cloud provider and they're trying to disclose it to you. Uh, so it's important to, in your um, contractual negotiations up front with the contract uh, with the cloud provider to look into how you're going to handle investigations, how you're going to handle incidents. Uh, you know, are you going to be able to have a mutually agreeable third party come in and um, get the data that you need to report your breach, uh, for example? Because once the breach has occurred, things can degenerate into an adversarial relationship, and it's better to establish the ground rules in the contract before you uh, go into uh, such an arrangement. And just so, to add to Dan's comment, you know, around um, incident management, and you know, you really need to think long and hard about what thought leadership positions that you want to maintain. Now, how, no matter how far you take your extended IT approach and your outsourced approach, um, I think most companies should think long and hard before they ever consider, you know, a CSERC or incident response process you know, being outside of your company. I think that's something that you need to hold close. Um, you need a well-rounded team, and, and the thought leadership there needs to stay internal. You know, similar to things like uh, DLP and others, I have a, I have a tough time um, envisioning how outsourcers could do a better job uh, of, uh, than others could if they were uh, set up internally uh, with your uh, security team. And this is Alan. I think in terms of the question... Um, about uh, organization and and where are the limits of a security officer's accountability or responsibility? Uh, I would suggest that the the most common job description for somebody who does the kinds of jobs we do uh, would just be uh, three words: protect the company. And it doesn't really matter uh, at at the at, at a deeper mindful levels what that means. It means that at the end of the day, everything associated with protecting the company, whether it's the infrastructure, whether it's the data, whether it's the applications, whether it's inside, whether it's outside, whether it's a company's transactions or whether it's a company's reputation, whether it's a company's name or whether it's a company's um, line of business that relies on computers in order to get the job done every day, seems to me that... Um, uh, in this brave new world, um, the job of a security person, a security officer specifically, is extensible and has to be extended to every place where the company may have a computer-related, even remotely computer-related interest. One last question, 30 seconds. Uh, Alan, uh, perhaps I can start with you, uh, which is what do you think you would want to appeal to your executive management and staff in order to create a more secure extended IT? Uh, I, I'd want them to be cognizant of, uh, and I think in, in my organization they certainly are, but I'd want them to continue to be cognizant of the importance of security, the threats that are real that we face. Someone earlier um, in this session uh, mentioned the risks that may be extended uh, via a third party if only because the outside world knows that third party has everybody's data or is doing work for lots of, of uh, enterprises. I think it's key that, um, uh, that uh, someone who does security have an absolutely quality and thorough relationship with um, the people who run internal audit and the people who do, ex people who do external audits for the company. At the end of the day, 
um, we're all in this together, and leadership uh, needs folks like us to keep them educated on what's important. Robert, well, I, I, I'll, I'll second a lot of the uh, the comments that uh, that Alan just made, and add that you know I think it, you know extended IT is here. It, it ties in with the whole concept of you know consumerization, and I, we really need to embrace that. And I think we need to take a hard look um, at what controls we have in place to better enable and adopt, whether it's the BYOD model or the further extension you know, of IT. And I think it's an, an opportunity to look at controls that you already have, it, such as whether it's SIEM, additional logging and monitoring, um, NAC, which is now, I think, getting additional traction around you know, how we segment our network such that you know, we need to be ahead of this as much as we possibly can. Um, the relationship of the uh, the CISO and, and the relationships that the, the CISO has with uh, corporate entities well beyond IT are paramount to really help drive awareness and educate officers, executives, and our end users around risks. And I really see this as a shift towards information risk management and how we frame problems well beyond uh, the IT world. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, uh, Dan, Robert, and Evan, for your thoughts. Hope this uh, discussion would provide some insight to organizations and their CISOs and other people within executive management and staff that it is a combined responsibility of everyone included to build a very secure extended IT from where you are expecting a lot of returns. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sanjog All next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services cloud computing services, and workplace 360 services. Are you ready for an instant offer?